Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. So, Fraser, take us through the menu from last night once more. Go on. Uh, I started off with a uh, a cream of um, cauliflower soup with uh, garlic oil croutons and uh, beetroot crisps. The homemade... Beetroot oh, yeah, so, of course. How, explain again how you make a beetroot crisp. Well, you get a mandolin and you slice the beetroot very finely. <laughs> Sorry, Have you got a mandolin on your wall among a huge uh, medley of Christmas implements? I do, yes. Christmas <laughs> implements? Sorry. A cooking cooking implements. implements. Yes, I do. Yes. I'm a bit pissed. Yes. I have a Japanese one. It's very good. And, uh, and then you just deep fry them. OK, that's one course. Deep fried. Uh, yeah. uh, second course was some copa di parma, some nice Italian ham, with uh, a spicy fruit mostarda. Very nice, kind of like an Italian chutney. Um, the you main... don't have to explain what it is to me, <laughs> uh, Fraser. <laughs> the uh, main course was some uh, brined pork loins with uh, apple and celeriac mash. Did you make your own brine? Of course, yeah. And how do you make that again? With uh, with water, with salt, with honey, with uh, rosemary, and with lavender. No, not lavender. Um, thyme. Go on. And have got another course to go? And uh, as well, there's also a mustard sauce and some pea shoots. I was, I was going to complain. And then the, uh, the final course was a lovely ginger parkin with some salted caramel butter ice cream. Which one of your guests actually texted you this morning, Fraser, and described it as? Better than anything they'd ever had in a restaurant. <laughs> My God! So, so if, for, the, for the benefit of listeners, I should point out this. I don't know what you were having on Thursday night. You know, <laughs> this was not a special kind of wedding anniversary or you know anything like. That. It's Thursday night. So yeah, just have to make rounds. Mate you make round, full course meal, all made by Fraser's personal hand. And how long do you... I mean, you can't do that on just the night before, can you? No, or, it's all about knocking preparation. Off at four o'clock. It's, it's, so it's, it's weeks of, of making stock and freezing it. It's that kind of thing. It's that kind of thing. The, the stock was weeks old, and, uh, and I started making this particular meal on Sunday. OK, this is an obvious question. Is the amount... Let's say you've put 
like four or five hours work into each course. And a course that, let's be honest, is consumed in what? Minute, minute and a half. Set the parking. Followed I'll be, I'll by a loud belt. <laughs> and the dabbing of the lips with the napkin. <laughs> and then the uh, slushing down of a little bit more Jacob's Creek. I mean, is it, it is worth it, isn't it? I mean, people Just were, to see the smiles on their faces. That's brilliant. Yeah. He's, got, he's got material out of it. You know, I've been, we went to a meeting this morning and I forced Fraser to tell everybody <laughs> what he'd cooked for dinner last night. You know, so huge entertainment value. Apart from, I feel as if I've eaten the meal by, you know, and I've only heard about it. You know, and now he's talking about it on the word podcast. And when was the last time you heard about parking being on the uh, on the dessert trolley? Oh, parking! Oh, parking is a Yorkshire expression, isn't it? it? Uh, yeah. Yes, I think it's. Probably, yeah. it may be called something slightly different in different parts of the country, but we always call it parking. And it was the kind of thing you had a bonfire night. Okay, well, this and it's a kind of biscuit. Is it? I'm from. No, it's no, I wouldn't tell from my accent, but I'm from Hampshire, so this I is like actually, it. Actually, it's from a Yorkshire chef called Andrew Pern. Oh, he so, knows yeah. more than I do. And why is he called parking? I don't know. Well, it was always been called parking in my time. Good grief. And, yes, it was a bonfire night. You used to have parking and brandy snaps. Very nice. Um, you know, well, next to the crackling fire, which, you know, we could have done with that this week, really. It's been a bit chilly in the word office, hasn't More it, More We need parking. We yes, need we parking. I'll bring some in. Parking on the hour, every hour. <laughs> so, Mark, and so Mark Allen's actually been out for lunch. Uh, I have. I hope I don't sound like I'm lit up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> he sounds like an av- like a the billiard. Av- sounds like the average media professional does on Friday afternoon around about four o'clock, which is exactly the time it is. It probably. Know. I mean, is, you know, no, I walked whole into a bunch no. of people in advertising agencies who sound like this every Friday afternoon. Well, the place I was in the Ivy Club, I, I suspect that a lot of them were, were actually going to stay on a little bit longer. I bet. And then maybe, uh, maybe just a refreshing couple of uh, pints of Stella, then taking a show. All right. So <laughs> what did you have gone? We had. We had. Um, I don't think this rivals Fraser's, um, you know, uh, home cuisine, but it was pretty strong, pretty strong. So we had, um, I had the, the Cornish crab uh, with, with a homemade mayonnaise. It always goes with the underwater. Yeah, the menu. Cornish crab star. And then I had the bra- no, the roast venison with bashed neeps. Nice. <laughs> bashed neeps. Someone had bashed. I said to the guy who brought it. Domestic violence. That, yeah. That's a Rabsy Nesbit. Well, you're not allowed to match the, 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 the waiter was absolutely brilliant because he obviously had this running gag, which, he, he, which he was so effective, which is that he, he, when he arrived at our table, I was saying, well, I'm going to have the crab followed by the, by the, by the venison. And he said, so... Today, um, the sad news is the, the crab is, is, is unavailable and all the venison's gone. But anything else. So I sort of looked up with a wounded face. I go, obviously, that's what he does every time, you know. And I said, it can't be. No, sir. Just trying to wind you up. Out of work actor. I, 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 it was, exactly. You should you're wasting, be the mouse trap you're wasting the your theatrical skills. Yeah, I know. Me, my you, good yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. One clear <laughs> shot. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you do that. The agents of the next But time. it was good. No, exactly. And you had uh, pudding? Uh, with, there was, there was the venison. And then for the pud, the steamed pudding with... Um, uh, clementine. So it's like a like a like a, a marmalade of clementine skin. Steam pudding with a little tiny jug of homemade custard. And all we had, to be honest, in my defence, was I had a, a bottle of Peroni and two glasses of Sauvignon Blanc. But I feel I'm lit up like a, <laughs> you know, yeah, I think you like a pinball machine. Dang. I had to flog a. I walked back in the snow all the way back. It's probably two miles. I had to sell a format to Channel Four of you two doing kind of rock cookery or something. You know what I mean? Well, you cook it, and Mark just eats it. You know, <laughs> perfect. And <laughs> well, I feel a lot of sympathy for uh, Alan uh, Partridge, uh, for Steve Coogan, and, and, and Rob Brydon. The fantastic the trip. Which, if anyone who's listening hasn't seen it, seen. oh my god, this is. I was that 
wrote a load of mates last night, and the basic discussion was, is this the best television since The Office? It is fantastic. The trip is one more, I think, left to see. But I feel some sympathy with them because, you know, I, I used to be a, a food critic for Time Out about 25 years ago, very briefly, very unsuccessful food critic. I wasn't I would just, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would just basically just horse down the old wheel. They'd forget I was meant to write about it. I'd have to sit there and sort of agonise, trying to think of the right adjective to describe the zucchini. I can't even say zucchini. Zucchini. And uh, that was very boring because it's very boring to write about food, really. It's as hard to write about as it is to write about music. It's rather abstract. You know, it's taste. It's taste. I suppose that's why... Give me an adjective to describe your beetroot crisps last night. It's quite difficult, isn't it? Tangy. It is, yeah. Tangy, lively, (laughs) chippy. Chris, can I make something up? Soft, sparky, sparky. That's fine. That's what you ought okay. to do: introduce rock critics' jargon into into food writing. Oh yeah, yeah. With well, the sophomore my course, sophomore course. My yeah, that's good. Crisps. I have the same thing. Yes, the unrepentant doo-wop harmonies of the uh, yeah. meal foy. Yeah, that's right. So, okay, that's the food dealt with. Uh, you know, this is this. We're jamming on this podcast. Let's be honest, because we had a guest lined up who's stuck in the snow. Well, I can do my um, my journey home uh, on Monday. I told you this, didn't I? In the <laughs> I've just been telling everyone in the office my journey home on Monday. Monday night, right? Anyone listening, I mean, if you're in the United Kingdom, will know that it is perishing sub-zero temperatures. Isn't it? is. It's absolutely is. freezing. And on Monday, to compound our misery, there was, in fact, a transport strike. And so lovely. you couldn't even go on lovely yeah, <laughs> results. You couldn't even go on the tube, right? So, of course, me being the kind of, you know, cavalier of character I am, keep the old wheels of Word magazine in motion, you know. Got to be there, got to be in the seats, you know. And I got on my bike, trod in there, you know. Uh, How far? It's nine, about nine miles each way. So nine miles. miles each way, really. Yeah, what a hero. What a hero. What a hero. But anyway, so I get all fine. On the way back, mercifully, I went to see Nick DeCosimo, the editor of uh, our uh, sister stroke, Brother oh, magazine, Mix Magazine, oh, can you, you lend me some more clothes? You borrowed so a rave co- t-shirt. I borrowed a rave t-shirt, which sort of I heart Ibiza or to something. Put I heart the Apex to, to it. To put underneath your pullover and your... Yes, yeah, so I've like got eight layers. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. The average Eskimo would have thought that I was possibly overdressed. So yeah, I yeah. get on the bike, I'm treading my way home. I get to Hyde Park and it's it's pitch dark, right? It's, I'm in the middle of Hyde Park, taking my little cycle route. It's not on the main road right and I hit what I later discovered is a piece of glass. There's a massive explosion, and the front wheel goes. A massive explosion. Well, yeah, I'm exaggerating <laughs> slightly. Dave, I've had a drink. I've had a drink. We've all had a drink. <laughs> the bombs. All right, it was a little pop. Barracks. A little pop, and a sort of sickening hiss. <laughs> and, and suddenly, I'm bumping on these cobbles, thinking, "Shit, this can't be right." So I, I've got all the gear. I got the pump. I got the, the spare inner tubes. I got a puncture repair outfit. I, you know, I'm ready for this stuff. I'm a, I'm a pro cyclist. You know, turn the bike upside down. The misery at this point, I have to say is pop pop well, the misery is a that i've lost all feeling already in my fingers and toes b i'm doing this by the light of uh, the, the bicycle torch held in my my teeth i'm trying to find, trying to find a puncture c i've got as i have now a pair of dickensian glasses perched on the end of my nose because i'm such a useless old duffer i can't see without spare silverhead old buffoon trying to find a puncture it's ludicrous anyway the worst thing is that I'm about 100 yards from a thing called Winter Wonderland. Ah, Winter yeah. Wonderland is, is an initiative that arrives, that descends upon Hyde Park every Christmas. It's probably one in the, it's in a the seas- town. It's a seasonal theme park. It's a it? seasonal theme park. It's, it's rather like one of those kind of, it's, it's a German, faux German frost fair. Yes. With cedar cabins. Yeah. Selling glue vine. Yeah, yeah I think and, you, uh, you pay £25 to celebrate the Brotherhood of Man, I think. Brotherhood of Man <laughs> and to eat an enormous sausage. <laughs> <laughs> and to watch your children consume vast amounts of burnt 
sugar, which drives them crazy with hyperactivity. But the worst thing is that is that they have on a loop um, two songs, oh, uh, are which they? are Jingle Bells, oh, right, yeah. followed by Feed the World brackets, let them know it's Christmas time. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, the, the mid-year vocal, very high in the mix. And so that is driving me absolutely... <laughs> that reminded me also of a job I had. you remember that job I told you about? I had 76 when I was Father Christmas in Debenhams. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, and I'm in, I'm in there with my Christmas fairy, who's called Greta. Who took me, <laughs> Greta, who worked in the army at all the shop, right? This is in Guildford. And she's taken 35p at the door. And uh, when I hear the songs, that we had seven songs that were on a loop that played over and over again for five, uh, nearly six weeks, I was there. We started Big Father Christmas in, in November. That's pretty good, isn't it? And got some custom. So whenever I hear Everybody Wants to Be a Cat from uh, Aristocats or, um, or um, Jungle Books, uh, what's it called? I'm the King of the Jungle. What's that song thing called? I'm the I'm King a... of the Jungle. Yeah, that one, anyway. That song. Whenever the I hear that. The Jungle VIP. The Jungle VIP. I've reached the top and I've had to stop. That's what's bothering That's me. That's what's bothering that, me. It's what what a great song. Louis, 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 Louis Palmer, who is that? No, it's so... It's Louis Prima. Brilliant. Louis Prima. Louis Prima. The brilliant Louis Prima. Louis Palmer, the well-known ham. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm having a drink. Louis Palmer, that came out. Anyway, so I'm in there listening to this stuff, and, and, and now when I hear um, extracts from Jungle Book, I immediately go to this routine. Oh, hello. <laughs> Would you like a machine gun or, or some paints? You know. Oh, are you a little boy or a girl? Yeah. One woman came in, and I can remember this really well. My second day, and I was whatever I was, 21 or something, and I had a horrible long hair and a ponytail stuffed down my back inside my father. Christmas beard. So he was a member of the Edgar Broughton band underneath exactly the Santa Exactly what I looked Claus. like, yeah, but obviously yeah. did look pretty young, you know. This like a Bakerloo roadie. He's, he's not old enough to be Father Christmas. <laughs> I want to see the management. I can remember her shouting, I'm being bundled out by Greet to the Christmas Fairy. <laughs> leave it, lady, leave it. <laughs> We're little kiddies, they're trying to enjoy themselves. I mean, so I was told after that I had to wear eye makeup to make myself look older, which is pathetic. So I don't looked about 22. Anymore, do no, I don't know. Now, now I walk into that <laughs> job, though. I walk in. <laughs> they give me a well, company car <laughs> and a graduated pension scheme, which I already have, actually. <laughs> so anyway, well, wait, sorry, the pink puncture. Puncture. So we're back in, we're in Hyde Park, right? And I've mended the puncture. I've run, as anybody who's a cyclist would know, you have to run your finger around the inside of the tire and make sure there is no... Uh, any evidence of whatever it was that caused the puncher, you know, of, of a thorn or a nail. Or a, I you, can't find... Do you read all this, all this advice in The Eagle in 1959 <laughs> or something? I think I did, yes, I memorised it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with a John Bull puncture you repair. Go, was, oh, crackerjack. Well, there's still the same puncture repair apps. They're still seeing a little tiny yellow really, pencil which, which writes on, uh, on rubber. Yeah. Oh, how sweet. Oh, yeah, it's really sweet. It's quite a nice bit of kit. Anyway. But anyway, it is pathetic, because I pump up the tyre, I, I, I head off on the bike, and um, I go about three hours. I'm feeling quite cocky, actually, now. I've, I've sent a text home saying, <laughs> yeah, punk, you've sorted that out, no problem. I uh, hope there's a uh, raging fire waiting and some hot soup, you know. Suddenly, pop! Off it goes again, right? So I strip it out, and now I've used up all my inner tubes, so I've got a mend puncture, so I'm, I'm blowing it up, and, of course, normally you submerge a tube... In water, don't you? Fraser, am I right? That's Are the you way sure? you, you do. You see little bubbles coming out. If you can't do that, what you have to do, as I now know, in the pitch dark, in the middle of Hyde Park, right, with your little torch and your glasses, is you have to hold the tyre against your face and feel a tiny jet of, uh, a pinprick of cold air, oh. which is obviously where then on goes the glue in the little patch. You remember the little patch? So I've got all this going on, and I still, every time I put it in, it still punctures, and I've been there for about an hour now, and I'm starting to... An hour? Oh, yeah, an hour. I'm starting to sort of hallucinate. Really My cold. niece, who, who's living with us at the moment, was so funny, I got home, she said, uh, she said uh, 
Unk, as she calls me, Unk, you're starting to talk like, you know, you know those Arctic explorers who go off to Baffin Bay or something, and they were meant to have had these terrible sort of sort of uh, lapses of rational yeah, yeah, yeah. thought because they're so screwed by the cold that they can't Snow think blind. straight. Snow blind. So, so I'm, str- I'm a doddery old man, an ex-Father Christmas, trying to mend a puncture, right, in Hyde Park. Drummed out the Father Christmas. Drummer, yeah, well, they wouldn't let me in now. And then, out of the blue, I'm thinking, how in God's name am I going to go? I'm going to carry this bike back. I'm freezing. The toes have gone, the, 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 the fingers. Out of the blizzard, and it is a blizzard by now, as anyone in London will remember, Monday night, out comes a Polish guy on a bicycle. And he stopped because he started talking. Oh, I asked him. Right. Because, yeah, because I just, he wasn't wearing a t-shirt. He wasn't, I'm Polish. Polish can I help? That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. So he stops and he says, uh, you know, can I give you a hand? I said, look, I tell you, I'm a little bit, a little bit proud of this. No, it's a puncture. I can sort it out. And he says, how long have you been trying to sort it out? I said, never you mind. <laughs> I said, have you got any soup, any brandy? You know, and he said, look, I tell you what, let me have a look at this. So he opens up the, the tyre, turns it inside out, finds a huge piece of glass stuck in it, which I'd missed, which is causing all these problems, takes it out, puts one of his own tubes in the thing, pumps it up. So he's right. got spare tubes? Oh, yeah, what do cyclists he's carry spare tubes. tubes? Dave, you know, you've got to be a pro. Oh, I've forgotten you're a former cycle Yeah, career, you've got, you got all the gear. Yeah, got all the gear. He puts his like, tube in and he says, uh, I'll take you home. I said, mate, I'm so cold now, I can hardly get my hand in my pocket to get out my wallet and I find a £10 note, all I've got, because these things cost about a fiver. I said, mate, take this, buy yourself a tube and please buy yourself a couple of cheeky pints of, uh, of fine English ale because it's the least I can do. And he says, he said, I, I am not, I am not taking your money, he says, right? And he then goes into this really moving monologue. It was so sweet, I've just been telling the office this. It's a, it's a tearjerker. And he says, he says, you have welcomed me into your country, you have allowed me to work and I am thanking you for all of England, is exactly what he said. And we go into this Anglo-English bear hug. You know, I'm, I'm blinking about, well, I'm not blinking him back. When I was I to burst into tears at this point, my eyes would freeze over. <laughs> <laughs> Literally snowed by. And I give him a little hug, and off he goes, this, this wonderful That's guardian angel. the spirit angel. of Christmas, The spirit of Christmas disappears. I'm going to edit in some the very the distant sleigh yes. bells. Could you? Could you? That's perfect. I think and, that's sound of, and, and off he went, and I got back home again. And when I got home and uh, sat by the fire, put on another layer of clothing, and uh, my, my niece, by the stage, prepared a hot water bottle to sit on my knee. I really was very cold, actually. And I looked at the bike, and the bike had gone flat again. So it still has glass in there, so I just made it home. Oh, God bless him. That's so my it. Polish pal, in the unlikely event, he's listening to the, the word podcast. <laughs> Can I just say, thank you so if, much, your If his iPod doesn't work and he gets this by mistake. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's really It's Listen, brilliant, isn't it? It's in line Spirit with my, my theory about London is you always see the extremes of human behaviour in London. And you will get, you know, brusque, inconsiderate, you know, rude behaviour. But you'll also get... It's angelic, chivalrous, I know, you know altruistic. You come across that stuff all the time. It was really amazing. While you're talking about the Feed the World was coming from the, uh, you know, from the Winter Wonderland next oh. door... The, I think you and uh, you and Fraser ought to tell the listeners what you have been looking at and I didn't dare. Have you not just, seen it? I, do, I can't look oh, at Dave, it. Oh, Dave, you're kidding me. I, bra- I, bra- I looked at it still. I couldn't go... Are you, you... I just, you know, Fraser. Fraser, I've talked so much. Explain to the listening public what we have seen. This is a, a short clip from a DVD that one of our readers sent in. Uh, thank you, Five Centres. And it's from the uh, forthcoming... Christmas broadcast of When Harvey Met Bob. When Harvey Met Bob. Which is the story of Live Aid. And it's the, uh, it's the famous swearing scene where David Hepworth is played by an actor. This, I just got a buddy on this point because it, it is so fantastic. 
to think that uh, this has happened to me once in my life. Of course, of course, for only two seconds, as you know, there was that they made a movie about Tony Blair and the band he was in, and none of the members. Oh, were you? The, yeah, none of the members of the band realize. would would, uh, would uh, appear in this for, for obvious reasons, and uh, so they had to get actors playing us. And I remember saying to them, I said, "Look, I can get you a couple of actors really easy." There's uh, two guys whose surname is Ellen, who are blood relatives of mine, who were, <laughs> you know, whatever they were, they were the that same age as I was when I was in the band. They were 21 or something at the time. I said, "They look just like me. Just put a waist length centre parted wig on them, and it'll be perfect." They wouldn't have any of that. This is all unions and stuff. But anyway, for a brief second, Tony Blair comes on stage, right, in, in his band, and the camera pans across. And there is, I thought, actually, a rather charismatic guy <laughs> at the back. I think he looked rather fabulous. <laughs> he looked like a bit, a bit like Edgar Winter, you know. And uh, But anyway, Dave is played by... An actor playing David Hepworth. And I, my theory is, I think he had to get a hairpiece to play me. I think you know, I don't think they could find anybody hairy enough. I think that's true, because Dave, as, as many of you know, uh, you only have to look at a picture of him, is, is, is legendary for his <laughs> luxuriant mane, a.k.a. thatch of hair. Uh, Melvin Bragg looks at Dave <laughs> with pinched with envy. <laughs> Billy Connolly looks at him and goes, fuck, I'm getting a bit... (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway, I tell you one one bit of Live Aid business while we're passing, actually, which I mentioned to you, Fraser, the other day. Dave, you've got to plug when this thing's on, isn't it, on Boxing Day? Well, I want to plug it on. I think it's on on Boxing Day. It's on after the Queen, isn't it? (laughs) Almost directly. The Queen, I think, actually uh, uh, (laughs) four-announces it, doesn't she? So at least there's no chance of my family seeing it. So she goes, that was (laughs) my annus cerebralis, and now to compound our misery. (laughs) (laughs) Over on BBC Two, no, it's on Boxing Day, and I can't remember what time, is look out for it, listeners. It's when, when Harvey met Bob, and Dave Hepworth is played by an actor clearly wearing syrup. <laughs> an actor who looks... And also the interesting thing is, I remember what Dave was wearing on the day, and they have, of course, got that precisely right. You're wearing a polo shirt, a pair of jeans, and a, a pair of quite so large jeans, BBC kind of uh, specs. As was everybody in those days. Yeah, they were. The big specs. That was something that... Mike actually... Reed. Sorry? Mike Reed. Yeah. <laughs> I, I went to see Chris the, Evans. I went to see the preview of the Bruce Springsteen film The Promise at Southbank a few weeks ago, which is shot during the you know the making of Dance on the Edge of Town, nineteen seventy seven. And John Landau, Springsteen's manager and producer, is, is in the film, was interviewed afterwards, and they asked him if he was pleased with it. He said, said, yes, but the only thing I wish they'd changed is I wish they'd found a way to digitally reduce my enormous spectacles. Because anybody at that time... They did. They had these huge specs. Why was that? You're so right. And it kind of, it really, it, it sets, it, it ties things to a very particular period of time. It does. That, you know, in a way that very few other things do. It became know. a cliche that all people worked in advertising in the mid-80s wore those specs. <laughs> probably members of the British Electric Foundation yeah. and, and the Human yeah. League. I don't yeah. know, it's very 80s. So what else have we got to cover? Um, it's today is Steve Lamax Wear Your Old Rock T-shirt to, uh, to Work Day, I believe. <laughs> Um, Steve sent me no, uh, sent me a special T-shirt. I'm, I'm ashamed to say I haven't, I haven't actually worn it. What's your favourite old rock T-shirt, Fraser? Have you got any? Have you got any beauty sitting around? You haven't got an old. If it ain't stiff, it ain't worth a fuck or anything. I like had that, a, a Motorhead T-shirt from their tenth anniversary show at Hammersmith Odeon, where, where they uh, performed an encore with Gary Moore and uh, Samantha Fox, and. Uh, <laughs> I'd bought the T-shirt without looking Heady at it days. properly. And uh, the design had been printed horizontally rather than vertically. So I had the famous Motorhead logo 
going from side to side rather than up and down. Oh, God. Makes I wish I still had that. Sure, have you still got like it? A... No. Still, have you still got anything, Mark? Old smash, uh, old T-shirts? Oh, I've got a lovely old... I've got an old smash hits one, which I'm rather fond of. Uh, one that's just advertising the group Funkapolitan. And I've got one from the back... The, the, there's a very obscure uh, kind of cult rock magazine launched. I think it lasted about two issues called Strange Things Are Happening. Oh, I've right. got one yeah, of their yeah, T-shirts, yeah. although it's a little bit tighter now than it, I wish it was. But yeah, it's still there. <laughs> My kids wear mine. Yeah, the old ones. They consider it the, the acme of trendiness. They, they do. Wear, yeah, to wear kind of T-shirts from the late seventies. You know, but I love that tradition when you go to to, to uh, when I went to see the Steve Miliband uh, about uh, when I was a month or so ago, and the people there in the audience, were there. and it's that idea that you've got to wear your Steve Miliband T-shirt to the oldest tour possible. Yes. To give the impression that, oh, yes. you think you're a fan? I was there. Yeah, I was there. You know, I, was in, I was in Moose Droppings, Idaho in 1971, you know, and you, you Johnny Come Lately, don't know who this guy is. The Word, a magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. Word podcast, I'm getting live tweets, okay? Questions and, you know, debates that people like to put before the committee. Uh, Whole Hog wants to know, Kajigugu or Bross? <laughs> Mark, can't you go? Well, I'm the right oh, guy to ask because you I, of course, right, yeah. nailed the world exclusive interview with Lamar. On the day that he split up with Kachigoo. Oh, right. I was the person who did that. Uh, did that interview? Why is he called Lamar? It's anagram. It's anagram. Surname. Chris Hamill. His surname. Oh. Come on, Dave. We're going too fast for yeah, you. Okay, so who do you prefer? or Bross? Well, Bross you can't prefer Bross. Bross were an absolute low point <laughs> in every respect, I think. <laughs> Dreadful bunch of people um, making horrible noise. Any preference, Fraser? I have a preference for neither. I'm, I'm pretty much the same. They both make my, make my blood run cold, yep. actually. I think it'll be a long time before either of them will look back on with... Anything other than kind of contempt. <laughs> Kajigugu had a song, their second follow up single, it was called Ooh to Be R. Right. Ooh to Be R. That was just repeat that. This is, be this is another one. Yeah. For, actually, this whole hog is sending further ones in on the Go same on. topic here, same kind of thread. And the phrase, first time, the first now okay. Leonard Cohen or Nick Drake? Oh. Leonard Cohen or Nick Drake? That's oh. a very good question, whole hog. Um, I think Nick Drake. Why? I like the strings. Okay. Mark Leonard Cohen. Or Nick Drake. Leonard Cohen's the answer because his poetry (laughs) stands uh, independent of his music. Uh, And it has extraordinary uh, resonance, profundity, and deals with the great verities of life. Nick Drake's not really. He's just a... It's it's kind of... It's abstract, emotional uh, witterings of whatever he was, (laughs) 23-year-old, but extremely good. I tell tell you what... Very tuneful. Very beautiful. Made by the strings. You're right, the the bass player. I think it was Danny Thompson. I love and admire Leonard Cohen, hugely. How could you not admire Leonard Cohen? But... Nick Drake has that has one thing, one thing on his side. He only made three records. Yep. And he made them quite a short period of yeah. time, and they're they're a perfect snapshot. They could never be improved. No, and, and he never, never tried record. to do anything to make them more commercial or anything like that. Whereas he listened to some of Leonard Cohen's records, and you think mm, this was let down by kind of trying to be produced by Phil Spector or you know trying to get something on the radio in 1989, which is understandable. Whereas Nick Drake just had none of those commercial considerations at all. And those records have an extraordinary purity and power about them. They Still, do, and actually, it, uh, in Nick Drake's favour, that it's intense supercharged poetry, which doesn't date, I think. If you're... Leonard Cohen's things are quite... Uh, they're quite... What's the word? Factual. A lot of his l- lyrics are based in the real world with real illusions. Whereas Nick Drake's are just... 
Time has told me not to waste yeah. my time. It's 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 just clouds of uh, of nebulousness. He's one of those. He's one of those old before his time people. Isn't yeah, totally. Drake. It's like Jackson Brown, you know, which who wrote. If it was it that line, if at times I seem afraid to live the life that I have made in song, it's just what I've been losing for so long. He was fifteen. Or Towns Van Zandt, who wrote, I think it was uh, "Waiting Round to Die" when he was about well, like, the same age. <laughs> I think there's a lesson to be learned from Nick Drake as well about the the negative value of telling anybody too early in their life that they're any good. Because it, it wasn't until very recently that I realised what a terrible impact it had had on Nick Drake, that he was surrounded by quite a lot of people, possibly not Joe Boyd, if he's listening, but a lot of people who told him he was a genius. And he started to believe it. And he started to believe that he didn't ought to go out and support these rock bands in town halls. The world should be beating a path to his door. Yeah, I suppose so. Oh, yeah, he re- really... And he had none of that uh, fight and, and appetite for, um, for the well, challenge. Then again, three records that are perfect. Great records. That's Absolutely not like a... extraordinary records. From Gagarin, I want to know which musicians would you like to be stuck on a snowbound train with? Well, obviously Nick Lowe. <laughs> Nick Lowe's the first, because Nick Lowe, uh, I, I have been stuck on, on, uh, on, on in transport with Nick Lowe. And, of course, he tells what he calls mile melters. <laughs> and a mile melter is something he invented in the late 60s to reduce the monotony and, uh, and uh, tedium of, of, of long, probably pre-motorway journeys. Yeah, yeah. And he would just tell anecdotes about funny stories about, God, have we ever had Nick Lowe? We haven't. We should get Nick Lowe. Yeah, we should. We oh, should. my God, he's the funniest man. And, of course, the quality of his stories He'll tell you stories about, you know, Keith Richards and, um, you know, Chuck Berry and Jerry Lee Lewis and tremendous number of stories. <laughs> and about, no marks about, like that, about, yeah. about, yeah, and Johnny Cash, who was <laughs> uh, for a period of time as his father in law. So uh, he really has got some great stories. What about you, Fraser? Uh, David Lee Roth. Oh, yes. Immensely entertaining. Plus, Very entertaining. Plus, he's an adventurer. He would go for help. <laughs> <laughs> this is important. <laughs> You've got to he, think outside the box. I once interviewed David Lee Roth. He was hugely entertaining. Yeah. He put as much... I was in a huge hotel suite at the Gosforth Park Hotel in Newcastle in 1978, something like that. And, and I was sent to do this story because I was the kind of sceptic. I was not the fan. So I was sent as the kind of honest broker. And he detected this. So he knew. He, he did a show. They did the show at the Newcastle City Hall. And then went back to the hotel, and it was him and me in this hotel suite, and he put as much effort into being interviewed by me Brilliant. as he put into yeah. performing in front of 5,000 people. Brilliant. He, he knew that was his job, to win you over, you know. Salesman. Massively charming and hilariously funny. The person I choose is Randy Newman. I've probably mentioned this. Before. Oh, yeah. Well, Who is the funniest and, and wisest Driest man. Driest and wisest man. <laughs> and wisest. I, I, I'm trying to guess the, the headline for your David Lee Roth interview. And, and I would imagine that I know what it was. Go on. Because if I had 50 pence for every time I've seen the headline, The Gripes of Roth, <laughs> I would probably have about £8.50. <laughs> Beanie wants to know... <coughs> excuse me. Beanie wants some ideas for Christmas food from Fraser. Well, you see, I'm not very good at Christmas. <coughs> I think we've been through this on the podcast before, but my uh, Christmases are generally fairly desolate affairs, uh, with just me and my mum staring <laughs> at each other across the kitchen and table. Life food. 
And, uh, and teach the <laughs> Are you sure you don't arrive with a swan stuffed with a pheasant stuffed <laughs> with a peacock? I made some beetroot crisps. Some beetroot crisps. I would love to do a tadukin, which is the, 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 the turkey, duck, and, and chicken. But when there's two of you and you're only there for a couple of days, <laughs> no one has quit. the turkey, one has the duck, and the chicken just sitting there for the boxes. It's just not working out. Well, we're making sandwich. Christmas plans. I know this is the time of year when people look for Christmas records to buy, you know, because they always wait till till they get. It's too near Christmas, and that the thing. <laughs> Why are you laughing? You're going to ask us what our favourite Christmas records are going to be, and they're going to be the same ones. We're all going to. Is that what you're going to ask us? I just no, 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 whenever whenever I mention a Christmas record on the blog or something, wordmagazine.co.uk, but near Christmas, people say, "Oh, you should have told me about that earlier," because I buy a Christmas record in November or whatever. And so I wondered if anybody got any tips as to you know what a classic well, Christmas, Christmas three, long play. If I was count three and Fraser and I both. I'd choose uh, Phil Spector's A Christmas. <laughs> 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 so what are you going to have, I was gonna, Well, now I can't have Phil Spector's Christmas album, which is, of course, which we play on vinyl, around the cheeky log fire at home. I've still got, I've got a vinyl. Every I've got a red vinyl. It's like a, only uh, a refrigerator. A you have oh, to have right. one. I've got That's a red good. vinyl. Have you? Okay, little, okay, 15, 15 love. But I'm going to win... Uh, because the greatest Christmas record, which every home should have, because there is nobody who wouldn't like this record, is a, an instrumental record, and it's Christmas Guitar by John Fay. Oh, yeah. The great I John Fay. Well, I, John Fay, can I just say, underrated. Oh, not oh, in my, my house. Oh, my God. Not in my house. Beautiful, slow, slide blues and stuff, isn't it? It's extraordinary. Weird instrumental, funny tunings. Very odd person. Have yeah. you ever heard The Singing Bridge of Memphis, Tennessee? By John Fay. No. Oh God! I lo- no. I, John Fay was one of those people I used to. I used to. I, I've been obsessed with John Fay ever since I was about sixteen years old, because he was one of those names that John Peel used to roll around his nasal passages, you know, on on Top Gear or whatever. You know, you know, you heard these names, Quicksilver Messenger Service or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And and the names were so exciting. Long before you, you actually got to hear the music. And John Peel what, used what, to go... something about uh, somebody Joe Death? What was it called? Well, he, he was the, I'm going to be playing something from The Transfiguration of Blind Joe Death a, by John Fay. The Transfiguration. You, you the, I'm sorry, nothing can be better than that. Yeah. You're sold on the record long before you've heard it because yeah. it's called The Transfiguration of Blind Peel's Joe Death. because told you how good it is. And it's like electric music for the mind and body by... God, I will help. I don't know. Who is it? Country Joe and the Fish. Oh, right, okay. You know, those are the the charismatic album titles and charismatic group names. Yeah. Country Joe and the Fish is a massively charismatic name, isn't it? It is, but a pretty disappointing group when you got down to listen. No! No! You want to fight? Apparently, (laughs) no! I will not have that said. First two Country Joe records, really good. Are you sure? I'm absolutely sure. Bass strings. Porpoise Mouth. There's oh, one, come There's one on. great record about... There's a great song we did about hitchhiking. Come on, it was called uh, Oh, well, that one? must have been later on. Oh, later, maybe I never heard the classic early album. Anyway, John Fay. John Fay Christmas Guitar. Highly recommended to anybody, um, you know, um, who want, was looking for something there. A bit of background for a crackling log fire. Good, and so forth, good Christmas. Uh, I must mention from the, uh, the email newsletter that went out this week, uh, and sign up for it if you don't already get it, something for the weekend, put together by Fraser... Many favourites on it this week. Um, not not least Kim Jong <laughs> Kim Jong Il looks of things. Yep. <laughs> Your transfiguration of <laughs> Kim, Kim Jong Il. <laughs> 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 yeah. um, Kim Jong Il and the fish. 
Um, <laughs> he the, looks through a hatch, doesn't he? It's just uh, he's pointed to a blog where it's just full of pictures of Kim Jong Il looking at things. Because this is what he does for it a is. living. He, he he roams the countryside, yeah. visiting people and offering on the spot guidance <laughs> as to how they should improve uh, their output. <laughs> Which he can do. Yeah. He can clearly do. Anyway, that's beautiful. But the thing I wanted to talk about was the thing that comes before that on the newsletter, if anybody okay. hasn't seen it, which is an extraordinary video of Australian students yeah. doing a mass orchestrated mime to uh, a Queen song. Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. Don't Stop Me no, Now kidding. by Queen. All in one take. It appears to be all in one take. So it's done by a load of sort of 20-year-old university students at whatever university it is in Canberra, I think it's Canberra. University of Western Australia. Oh, OK. Right. Uh, and it's, it's beautifully shot, and it probably involves about 60 of them. Yeah. Changing costumes, you know, so they're running towards the camera, and you know, so the characters are changing. And, and why so have like, they done this just for larks? Well, it's apparently some kind of they call it a dub sync competition between different Australian universities, and they've all done videos. And this is the first one that this particular university did, and they won with it. And it's just beautiful, and it's, it's joyous, it's absolutely joyous. It is so joyous. And what I wanted to know was, why can't we have that here? You know what I mean? Well, Nobody our, would do that Because our here. students are too busy smashing the state. Yeah, too busy, you know, <laughs> occupying the Central Students' Union until their demands are met, <laughs> putting the skins together and listening to Blur. It's, it's the idea of something so kind of... Yeah, you because know, the Aussies can be pretty, you know, kind of hard and sardonic, can't yeah. they? As a, <clears> as a people. Uh, but yet this is just done with a simple... Joy. Yeah. It's absolutely beautiful to see. Just talking about rioting students was just a phrase we were saying the other day. <laughs> It's just so funny because all the student writes, all you know, it's all that kind of, you know, you know, what do we want? You know, uh, you know, free tuition. When do we want it now? And there was apparently Fraser was saying with some march about the pensions, the BBC pensions, wasn't it? They said, what do we want? You know, pensions. When do we want them? Well, not now. <laughs> <laughs> want them when we're sixty-five. Dead start. When do we want them? Silence. Yes. Last one. Six, sixty yeah. or sixty-five, whichever is sooner. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, so do look at that if you haven't seen it already. It's, it's very a fantastic good. thing. We we ought to just mention the the massive awards which have taken place oh, Lord, since yes. we last met last friday night there was a gathering in an upstairs uh, room of the compass uh, a pub around the corner from the office of uh, of various members of the massive who had been mainly heavy contributors to the blog uh, and they were rewarded for their efforts throughout the year with what fraser uh, with lovely rosettes. We gave them rosettes. Yep. Several of them went home, that's right, with a spring in their step and a rosette proudly pinned to their lapel. And I think wore those rosettes on public transport. Several, yes. several I said, they kept them on. Yeah. In fact, one of them kept on the next day. I think Backwards 7, backwards seven. was the big winner. Well, Backwards 7 had two rosettes. So two rosettes. He had a lot to, he, to show off the about. the Leo Messi of this particular yeah. gathering. I think he went away with Mark El- Spitz of this particular <laughs> Olympics. <laughs> But it was, God, fun, really it? Joke, it? <laughs> it was good fun, wasn't it? It was good fun, Tremendous fun. It's very good fun to meet. Uh, it'd be a whole room full of people and feel very prosaic about your own name. You know, people would ask me. Actually, they didn't ask because they knew I was. Yeah. It's very nice of them because they read the magazine. They've seen a picture of me. But uh, if they did ask me, I'd have to say my name was Mark Ellen. And then you're very, you know, envious of the fact that they're all called Backward Seven. And El Hombre Marlo. El Hombre Marlo and Captain Underpants. <laughs> and <laughs> Hannah. Those are great names. Yeah, yeah. Hannah. Hannah's That's a great a name. That's a hoot of a name. So, uh, this is this podcast is probably not going to go out in time for anybody who uh, in the northwest.
just to turn up to the Northwest Massive meeting, which is this evening. Okay. I mean, this very Friday evening. Uh, you know, we're recording this on Friday afternoon, so I don't know how quickly I'll get up there. But that's that, that meeting taking place um, tonight, so uh, hope that goes well. Yes, indeed. Um, you can vote in the Festive 50 on the website, can't yes. you, Fraser? How's that going? Uh, we have plenty of, uh, of, uh, of uh, votes so far, and I could tell you who is winning so far, but I'm not going to. No, no you mustn't, so though, you have, because yeah. that will swing the vote. Absolutely, you yeah. can't so you have that. to nominate a number of... You have to work? choose your favourite five tracks of the year. Favourite five tracks of the and year. And all will be revealed in the next issue. So go to wordmagazine.co.uk and you can vote in that. You can also take part in Fraser's very exciting advent calendar. Yes, we have the uh, lovely Miss Mariah Carey involved. Yes, <laughs> yes we paid Mariah Carey yeah. to be involved. Involved in this, you know, and uh, and what and which clips have we had on? Because you go to a window and there's a clip. Inside. We've had we had three clips so far. It being the third of December. Right. What have we had so far? Uh, the, today's clip was uh, so fantastic footage of Mavis Staples singing on the Jerry Springer show. She can sing before he went all Nazi midgets and uh, <laughs> fighting clansmen. <laughs> it was when he used to be a serious broadcaster. And uh, yesterday's clip was a delightful uh, clip of the seven-year-old Björk. Wishing a TV audience oh, happy yes, Christmas course, child, in Icelandic. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I can't remember what the first one was. Presumably, if people want to suggest stuff, can they send Absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah. So I'm, what do I'm, they do? I'm short of ideas. Just... <laughs> Let's be honest, yeah. I'm short of ideas. When my kids were, were under 10, I used to make uh, advent calendars for them every year, which I thought was terribly Actually, to be fair, they thought it was amusing too. What I used to do is buy a very cheap advent calendar and, you know, Smith's or whatever, tear the back off, right? And then stick over the pictures on the back, which are always of robins and little choir boys and things, stick pictures of either their most favourite or least favourite celebrities. And so they would open up the thing at that time that their least favourite people... I remember Sarah Ferguson was a high-ranking member of the royal family. They thought she was a buffoon. <laughs> uh, you know, Kylie Minogue they were very keen on. You know, a Green Day was their favourite band. And so and it was quite good fun. And so you get to... It was always Steve Coogan, actually, as Alan Partridge. He was in the number 24 <laughs> slot. That was the big build-up to Christmas. And I miss those days, yeah. I, 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 You uh, can do that for us. Maybe I should do it for you guys. Yeah, do it in the office. We'll all, we'll we all be Joe, thrilled. Yeah, Faye could be sort of, you know, number number, number well, seven and we'll, ACDC we'll, on the 8th yeah. of September. Kim Jong-il on the 15th. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Can we just... Glenn Campbell. And we can't let this Boston. go without having a moan about the World Cup. But, Fraser, you called this two weeks ago, didn't you? Tell I us did. about this. Go on. I have a, a friend who works for ESPN as a, a commentator, and uh, he said, oh, yes, the, uh, the Russians will get it. <laughs> and what was his reasoning? His reasoning was that um, uh, the thing that... FIFA most want to do is give the World Cup to China because that's where all the money is. Uh, But politically speaking, they cannot do this before they've given it to Russia right? because Russia have been around for longer and they're part of the same kind of block. So it's Russia, and the next time it goes to that part of the world, it'll be China. Wasn't it an epic thing watching this? We watched it in the office, uh, and it, it, it just proved the point that it is now absolutely impossible for any live event not to be leached out by by the digital media. Because, I mean, anyone watching will notice that, that the commentator had to stop commentating on the fact that any minute now the announcement will be made and acknowledge that the Twittersphere had leaked the information that the British team hadn't won. In fact, not only had they not been won, they'd been booted out of the park in in the first round. But also it kind of forces the broadcasters like Sky and BBC to to lessen the drama of the big moment. Completely, because, because they've got to spoil builder. things. They I, can't I ignore quite, the fact I that everyone else like already that. knows. I quite yeah. like that nowadays. Yeah. So I'm fed up of half an hour's build-up to 30 seconds worth of information. Yeah. People nowadays just, if you know it, 
tell us for crying out loud. Yeah. Well, they did, and then then at one point it was it was uh, Gary Lineker colon confirms yeah. you know uh, leaked news that you know. And, of course, then you've got these cutaways of, uh, of members of our team, uh, the, the Royal Prince himself, all staring at their shoes and looking... And Roman Abramovich <laughs> with a big grin on his a face. A huge grin on the his face. The thing that struck yeah. me, though, thinking about it last night, was, you know, I've been in loads of board meetings and I've never known a serious deliberation that's gone to a vote without the chairman knowing how it's going to turn out. Because no chairman... <laughs> with any experience, would allow that to happen. No. It's like they say to barristers in court, never ask a question if you don't know the answer. You know? Um, and so a chairman will either know the answer or will, will have an exit route planned in case it appears to be going against him and will defer the decision. So the idea that Sepp Blatter, you know, 70-year-old, hugely hard-bitten, experienced bureaucrat, would say, all right, chaps... Fill in your forms. Yeah. Pass them along the table. Fair's fair. fair. No, fair's fair. Yep. I'll just open them. We'll toss it's them up. just bloody preposterous. No, yeah. He must have known. Now, now <laughs> there's two things going on here. One is the perfectly fair desire to kind of spread the World Cup to places yep. it hasn't been, and that's a perfectly legitimate objective and all that kind of thing. But at the same time, these guys want to keep their snouts in the trough, don't they? You know, so they, they, they want all these people from nations all around the world to, to, you know, appear in front of them like Alan Partridge in front of the commissioning editor of, you know, oh, yeah. in, in his leather underpants. Monkey tent. <laughs> oh, that, yes, oh, that scene, yes. <laughs> they, they want yeah. the, the heads of state and David Beckham and the David Beckham equivalents from Australia, Holland and, you know, Spain and wherever to come along and do their exhibition games and, you know, build the sports centre or whatever, even though the decision has clearly been made. Yeah. It's effectively been done by a nod and a wink two years earlier. And it's made even worse by this year by the fact that they've decided to award two so that a bunch of 75-year-old yeah. guys could say, I'd like to get as much graft as possible before I die. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know any perks come in, can I please have them now? Yeah, eight you know? years' worth, yeah. Eight years' worth yeah. in, one, in one single shot. So... Anyway, can't knock it. But you won't be going, Fraser, will you? Because uh, to Russia, because it's too expensive, isn't it? It'll be massively expensive. (laughs) It's it's not a uh, World Cup you can do on the cheap. I would have thought. No, it's a a city built for millionaires, isn't it? Moscow is is now officially the world's most expensive city. Yeah, I never knew that. Yeah, I mean, I went to Moscow in 1990. I was there in 1991. It was. I can. It was so far from being. Uh, well off as to have been absolutely astonishing. Well, there's this huge, huge split between the haves and the have-nots in, in, in Moscow, and uh, but it, because of uh, the oligarchs and all that kind of stuff, anything that you need to pay for, like hotels and that kind of stuff, is just the co- process really ramped amazed. up and ramped up and ramped up. God, because all I can remember there is going to the record shop in Gom, actually Gom was in Leningrad, and Gom's the big department store, and they only had seven albums. Seven rock albums were available, and I can remember what they were, actually. Two, two, uh, two by guess? Queen. Two were by Queen. I was going to say Uriah Heep. One was no, no, no. Well, two by Kate Bush. That's four already. Isn't that weird? One by Paul McCartney. Frank Zappa. Not Frank Zappa. One was by the Rolling Stones. I bought them all. I've still got them at home. They were bootlegs, <laughs> by the way. They're, 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 they're pirates. They're pirate copies. But it's the idea that all, that was all you could get. You wanted Western rock music. We had a, a Russian girl we met on the, on the uh, Siberian girl we met on the plane coming back, and she came and stayed with us actually about three months. Really fantastic girl. She's about twenty-one, and um, she spent most of her wages uh, on cassettes 
and going through my record collection and just dubbing off as many. She went back with just a sack of cassettes. She took more music into the former Soviet Union than is, is imaginable. Yeah. And those tapes must have just been bootlegged buggery. <laughs> they must have been just... I was so pleased. I thought we were putting a bit back, Fraser. Just one further, one PS of the World Cup thing. It's been responsible, I think, for some of the best Twitter jokes um, in the last 24 hours. Nicky, Nicky Campbell's thing that, that uh, in solidarity with England, Scotland will be boycotting the World Cup in 20, what is it, 2018 and 2022. And what was the one about the prostitutes? Uh, the sh- shrieking sound you could hear when Russia announced was the, uh, as winners, was the sound of uh, 50,000 prostitutes. The jubilant <laughs> sound of 50,000 prostitutes. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific! Hooray! Business! Bring it on! Yeah. So what's everybody doing this weekend? Anything exciting? Uh, I'm, uh, no, I'm making some Fraser's, Fraser's, Fraser's chutney, actually. Oh, Fraser's right. giving me his, uh, I'm making that for, um, you know, to, uh, for uh, Xmas reasons. Oh, it's a very boring answer, isn't no, it? No, no, yeah. okay, well, I'll do. Fraser? Uh, drinking mulled wine with a oh, friend. Right. Yeah. I'm going to the National Theatre tomorrow night. Very nice. To see Season's Greetings, and I'm hoping that one of the male leads breaks his ankle, and then word reader Lucas Hare, of course, yeah. who is an understudy in that production, who was at the Massive meeting uh, last week, will actually be on stage. It's very interesting. He was telling me last week all about being an understudy. You don't properly rehearse, but you sit and watch the rehearsals. It's very odd, very odd, uh, very odd business. Well, you have to learn I, the I lines. Have a oh, yeah, well, you, you, yeah. of course you learn the lines, but you, you're not actually taken through stuff by the director. You no. watch the the lead actors being taken through it. I have a cousin who's been an understudy for pretty much his entire professional career. He's, he's in his late fifties now. Never he, the blushing bride. He started when he was twenty, and he's understudied it that, that, that entire time. You see, why don't rock rock bands have understudies? Uh, that's an interesting thought. So if the vocalist isn't able to perform... Some fella jumps up. Some guy <laughs> leaps up. Tonight, the part of Mick Jagger will be taken by, you know, by Mark Allen. David Yance. Tony Blair. Oh, Tony Blair. Blair. Hi, guys. Why don't they We're have to start with honky-tonk women. <laughs> or Brilliant, they have right. uh, stage prompts for when they forget the lyrics. Who does? The rock singers should have. Like, you know, the guy on the... Well, they do. Well, they, do. they have autocue now, does. I guess yeah, they do, yeah. Yes. Yeah, Hence that time I went to see Diana Ross, which I know I've talked about on a podcast in the past, re- re- rehearsing at Madison Square Garden. I could see she was looking into the darkness, and there between the two exits was a huge, great thing rolling by, and it had the words, baby love, baby love, ooh, ooh, my baby love. Uh, and at that point I thought, this is hopeless. Surely she's remembered something. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Hey.